Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome to the show. Today we're going to continue. We're going to jump right into it. We've been talking about dispensationalism um, this week. And just to quickly bring up our, our, our listeners to speed, dispensationalism is, is a system of, of looking at the Bible. It's, it's one of two or three main systems that are out there today in evangelicalism. Uh, it's characterized by breaking up the Bible into seven or nine dispensations, depending on what kind of dispensationalist you are. And uh, these are dispensations or economies of, of ways in which God deals with his covenant people in each successive time period. Now, there's three other characteristics that I want to bring to your attention. One is that within dispensationalism, there is a, uh, a very radical division between the church and Israel. So uh, dispensationalists tend to see those as two separate and very distinct peoples of God. Secondly, um, dispensationalists will tell you that they have a very uh, a very literal hermeneutic. And then thirdly, um, most dispensationalists that I know anyway hold to a pre-trib, pre-tribulation rapture. So let me just say one thing before we get into it today. Um, all of us are raised with particular prejudices that we have, um, either because of our home life or because of the church tradition that we come from. And I just encourage you as a listener, you know, question what you believe. Um, I mean, the Bible talks about testing all things according to what the scripture says. Just because you've always, you know, been in a particular tradition doesn't mean de facto that it's right. Yeah. And let me, let me also add that the, the three pastors, uh, in this room and including our fourth, Jonathan, who's, who's not here with us today because he's not feeling well, um, all, all of us hold firmly to the inerrancy of scripture. All, all, all of us hold firmly to the complete reliability of the Bible that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit and as, and as the Bible itself says, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Every good work. So if we, if we may say something here that's going to disagree with the way that you've heard the Bible taught or that you've uh, understood it, um, but, but do understand that... We're, we're coming from a place uh, of trusting in the absolute authority of the Bible. And one of the first comments I would make about dispensationalism, and well, let me make two comments. The first one being that uh, 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 my dispensationalist friends are Christians, and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to, in this disagreement, because I am going to disagree with dispensationalism, I'm not, not going to try and take away the title Christian uh, from my Christian brothers and sisters who are dispensationalists. But I'm not a dispensationalist, and... Uh, Dispensationalism, you look at it historically, uh, was developed by a man named John Nelson Darby in the 19th century. Uh, that's the 1800s. Um, you go back before that and go back to any church leader before John Nelson Darby for 1,800 years. Go to Calvin, go to Luther, 
you know, go to Aquinas, go to uh, Augustine, go to Augustine, go to any of the church fathers. And if you had if you had taken dispensationalism and put it in front of any one of those church leaders of the past, they would have been absolutely baffled, and they would have said, "Where on earth did you get this?" Mm-hmm. It, it, nobody had ever heard of it until the 19th century. So that should tell you something right there, uh, that, if, that if something was so plain and so clear in the Bible, some Christian would have discovered it within the first 1,800 years of our history. Um, and, and so that right off the bat, and now once again, I'm not, and I want to be as fair to it as I can because I, want to be, I don't want the listener to know. As I said, we're not, we're not dispensationalists here in, the, in this room. But it should be, just from that evidence alone, it should be approached with some skepticism. And I, I think this applies not just to this topic, but so many other topics that um, we don't give enough credence to the fact of what did the church hold for so many centuries. Um, that doesn't mean the church cannot err. It doesn't mean that there aren't truths that end up being buried. Um, so we're a product of the Reformation. But we would not say that the Reformation was the beginning of these truths. What we would say is this was the rediscovery of what the tr- the church once held. Um, so these aren't, we don't come from a new tradition. We come from an old tradition that dates back to the early church. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to be careful that we don't give the flavor of the day undue weight so just because something is a majority position today doesn't mean that therefore it has to be correct because so many people believe it. Um, mm-hmm. And we as Westerners are not very good at knowing and appreciating the weight of historic theology. Um, it's it's a lost art, and yeah. so we give the novelty Um, More credence. Too much credence, way too much credence. Okay, so yesterday we talked about uh, one of his first distinctions is that that God deals with his people differently. Um, That's one of the distinctives of of dispensationalism. And we read right from the Skillful Study Bible from the study note on John 117 where it talked about how in the old dispensation under the old covenant that God saved people through legal obedience to the law, but now that we're under the dispensation of grace, we're saved through Jesus Christ. So we dealt with that yesterday. If you missed that broadcast, go look it up. So today I want to – Just very quickly, I want to just reemphasize grace began – In the garden. At creation. Yep. Right. Even the covenant of works is a covenant of grace. Yeah. So hear me correctly. God has always dealt with humanity in grace. Always. Period. Yeah. There's never been a time when God has not dealt with us in grace. And thankfully, our, our the, the progressive or the modern dispensationalists would agree with that, although I think some of their their theology would kind of be just be inconsistent. So I would say with Adam, God began dispensing grace. Um and continues to dispense grace. It didn't happen because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's right. Okay, so let's hit this second uh, distinction today, which is that there is this, um, that God has basically two groups of people, namely Israel is the first group, and then the church is the second group. Um, Now, I want to be fair in, in the way that I describe it, brothers, but they would basically say that when God is dealing with his covenant people in the Old Testament, 
when Jesus Christ came, since Israel had rejected Jesus as king, then God basically turned to the Gentiles. And um, and then since then, he has these two groups of people that he's working with, two very distinct groups. So can, can we deal with that? How, how would we respond to that? And what do, what do you guys think is the biblical view? So I think what you find throughout all of Scripture is that God has chosen um, those that are his own, those that he's called out unto himself. And so those would be called his church or the elect. You can say it in different ways. And in the Old Testament, what we found is that God was always seeking those that would put his great grace on display. And he first chose Adam and then through Adam his seed until it got to Abraham. God chose Abraham, and the Scripture is very clear that it's not because of anything in Abraham. It was everything that was in God. And then through Abraham, you notice that God chose specific one of his two children and then one out of the next that the Messiah was going to come through. And so then he chose a nation, and then that is Israel that he brought unto himself. But the whole point of his choosing of Israel was to put his grace on display and that through Israel they were supposed to be a blessing and a light to the nations around them. And the whole motif of the Old Testament, just read the book of Isaiah, is that Israel failed in their mission to put God on display to to the nations that they were not a light and that God was not happy with them for not fulfilling their mission which was to um, really be missionaries to the nations around them. And the whole idea, the reading of the Old Testament, is that nations were supposed to be coming in because of the work of, of Israel. Then you come to the New Testament era. And what's new, if you want to say that, uh, that about the New Testament, is the expansion of the grace, that the promise, the great promise of the Old Testament, Psalm 2, is that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of his obedience, what the Father promised to give the Son was the nations as an inheritance. Right. And what you see in the New Testament church is that God is blowing the doors open on the church and saying, okay, now it's time for the gospel to go to to the far reaches of the world because of the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, and that's what's different. Not the fact of how people are saved, not the fact that they're saved by grace, but what's different is the extent of the gospel influence. And I think that is what changed in the New Testament, and that's in fulfillment of the promise that the Father has made to the Son. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then when we look at the New Testament, um, there are some very helpful verses that, that connect us to Israel specifically. So, Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so God, so Paul is, the, the church in Galatia is a Gentile church. And Paul is telling them, if you belong to Christ, you are the true offspring of Abraham. Now that doesn't erase any true offspring of Abraham in the Old Testament. One of the, the critiques that dispensationalism will often bring against covenant theology is that we hold to what's called replacement theology, that the church somehow replaces Israel. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a false caricature of our view. Um, no elect person of God will ever be replaced. No elect person of God will ever be removed from God's kingdom. But the thing is, is if you're an, if you're an unbelieving Jew and if you remain an unbelieving Jew for the rest of your life, you're not going to gain any of the promises of Abraham because the promises made to Abraham was, was Christ ultimately. 
mm-hmm. and the inheritance of the world through him. And, and so there's more New Testament verses. Romans 4.16, Abraham is the father of us all. Uh, Romans but 9. keep going in that verse. It says, um, I'm sorry, next verse, that God said, I have made you the father of many nations. Nations. Yep. Right. So we Gentiles are the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham, which was the that fa- the gospel he- would go into the nations. Yep. Right. In, in uh, the 11th chapter of Romans. And by the way, one of the great themes of, of Romans that's one of the great themes of the book of Romans, which is often lost on modern readers, is the role of Israel in, in God's purpose and plan and the relationship of Jews and Gentiles. And this is often lost on modern readers because it's just, it's just not, a, it's not an issue to most of us today because uh, we're all Gentiles who came to Christ. And, and, um, but anyway, uh, in the 11th chapter of Romans, Paul talks about us Gentiles as being grafted on to the stump of Israel. Uh, we, ha- we have been grafted in. And, in other words, and, and his, his point there, and I'm paraphrasing fe- freely, is don't, don't get big-headed, you Gentile Christians, uh, and don't think like you've arrived and suddenly you've invented something new. No, you've been grafted into an old thing that God is doing. Yep. And... and that's how you have life in Christ because you've been grafted onto a pre-existing stump, but that stump still has life. Mm-hmm. It's, it is not Israel is not obsolete. It has not been supplanted. It is. It, it, we don't believe in replacement theology or supersessionism. That somehow the the Church of Jesus Christ has superseded uh, Israel and God's promises to Israel. No, we've been grafted in. Amen. And and that that last point, it's the whole idea that the church is one from cover to cover. And I'm sure we'll come back to this at a later show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We've been talking about dispensationalism the last couple of days. So if you missed those podcasts, just subscribe, The Gospel for Life, and we'll continue this discussion tomorrow. We're so glad you could listen. If you'd like to get information on our upcoming conference, just go to ReformationBoise.com. We'll see you next time. 